Our text for this morning is from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, please turn with me in your Bibles there now, and we will read the first several verses of this chapter. Matthew chapter 5. And our text for this morning will be the first beatitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of our God. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to that portion of his own holy word. Well, congregation, our text today, as I've just said, is that simple but unmistakably clear gospel declaration from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, or we might say happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to begin our sermon this morning by giving what I believe is one of the most remarkable illustrations ever given of this beatitude, and that is Christ's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Children, and all of us here today, I believe we probably remember the story quite well. There were two characters in this parable. There was the rich man, and then there was Lazarus. The rich man was well-to-do and well-known, The poor man, Lazarus, was very, very poor. Lazarus, in fact, spent his days and his nights begging at the gate of the rich man's residence, hoping that a crumb would be thrown to him from the table of that rich man. Lazarus was in terrible health. He was full of sores. In fact, children, the dogs would come and lick those sores. And eventually, as he lay there day after day in all his sickness and poverty and trouble, Lazarus passed away. He died. And on earth, likely nobody remembered or noticed his death. But in heaven, if you will, all of heaven took notice. Angels, God's messengers, were sent to take Lazarus and swiftly, quickly carry him from where he was into the bosom of Abraham. A place of blessing. A 
place of honor, a place of glory, a place of wealth, a place of comfort. But then, in, as time marched on, as will always happen in this life if the Lord tarries, the rich man also died. And people noticed. The parable says, he was buried. In other words, people remembered him. They paid attention to him. He was a well-known man, a wealthy man. But heaven's response to the rich man's death is, is starkly different from heaven's response to Lazarus' death. The rich man was not carried from where he was into a place of honor and blessing and wealth. He was carried, Jesus says, into the bitter and the painful realm of hell. And there, Jesus says, he lifts up his eyes in torment. And he says these words. Father Abraham. He can see Abraham from across the chasm. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But how did Abraham respond? Children, you know this. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted. You are tormented. What a terrible situation for this rich, covetous man who was really a picture of the opposite of those who are poor in spirit. A man filled with pride. But what a happy situation for Lazarus. All his life he experiences misery and poverty, but now he's carried into the very center, if you will, of the riches and the wealth and the honor of heaven. Lazarus is really a picture here, a fulfillment of this short little beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to go into this beatitude in much more detail. But I want us to begin by noticing that this beatitude is the first of eight beatitudes. Some say seven, but it's likely eight beatitudes that the Lord Jesus Christ gives here. And the first four are focused primarily on the true Christian's relationship to God. The true Christian's relationship to God. And the second four are focused mainly on the true Christian's relationship to his neighbor. Here, the Lord Jesus, as he sits on the mountainside, is really re-giving the law. Just as Moses had given the law in Sinai, Christ is now re-giving the law upon this mountain in Galilee. And so these first four Beatitudes reflect the first table of the law, how we are to respond to the Lord, and the, the second four, how we are to respond to our neighbor. And all of them together are like the artist who paints a picture of someone. They're painting a picture of what a true Christian looks like. Not a true Christian in the sense that that Christian is perfect. But they give the outlines, the contours of what every true Christian has something of. 
And we need to notice that it's quite significant that the Lord Jesus Christ begins not with the fourth beatitude or the third beatitude or the second beatitude, but with the first beatitude. He doesn't begin with, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, or blessed are the meek, or blessed are those who mourn, but he begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's interesting. That's worth noting. Why does he start here? He starts here, at least in part, to teach us that this is the normal, the normal starting place of the journey of the true Christian. A sinner will not normally mourn over sin, the second beatitude, or humble himself before God, the third beatitude, or hunger after Christ's righteousness, the fourth beatitude, or all of the rest of the beatitudes, unless he first recognizes that he's spiritually empty before God, that he's a poor beggar before God. Think about Lazarus for just a minute. If Lazarus was, lived his life in a false reality, and he thought he was the wealthiest man on the earth. Just think about that. Even though he was a beggar, he was a poor man. Would he have begged at the gate of the rich man? No. He wouldn't have had any need in his own mind. And it's the same for a, for a sinner. If a sinner doesn't realize that he is poor in spirit, he will not beg for the spiritual riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the normal pattern. This is the normal pattern of a sinner as he, if you will, becomes transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this beatitude is a striking statement. It's a remarkable statement. It's paradoxical, we might say. In fact, some of us might read this, and if we really actually think about what Christ is saying, we might be a little bit confused. Why is Christ saying that someone is happy when they recognize that they are spiritually destitute or spiritually poor. Wouldn't it make someone tremendously unhappy to realize that they actually are completely bankrupt? Think about a, a human example. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you checked your bank account and there was zero dollars and zero cents in your bank account, I don't think we would be happy. And so what is Christ saying here? How can he say happy or blessed are the poor in spirit if being poor in spirit means they are spiritually empty? How does that make someone happy? Well, let's examine this beatitude a little closer to get to the answer. Christ begins the, the beatitude. And children, if you have your Bibles open, you can see this. Matthew 5, verse 3. What is that word he begins with? It's the word blessed. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that word blessed even mean? Well, we need to remember that Christ is sitting here, as it were, at the very edge of the Old Testament. Thousands of years of the Old Testament have gone on, and now Christ is preaching a sermon with the primary word of God that these people who are listening to him know being the Old Testament. So his, his use of the word blessed needs to be understood in the context of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there were actually two main words for blessed. Two main words for blessed. One was a verb. Children, you know what a verb is. And one was an adjective. One was a verb describing the action of blessing someone. 
The other was an adjective where someone would look at another person and say, you are blessed, you are happy, I can see it on you. The first, the verb, was typically the action of God, blessing people, actually bringing a literal blessing upon them. The other was normally the word of another person speaking about another person. And the word Christ uses here is the Greek equivalent of that adjective. Christ is saying, blessed, happy is the man who is poor in spirit. We look at that person who is poor in spirit and we see that they are happy. But then he's also referencing that verb because you can't, no one can truly be happy, be blessed, unless they have received that verb from God, that divine benediction from God. So that's the background to this word of blessing. We might say happy is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this, if you were a Jew sitting there in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's sitting on the mountainside and spread all around him as an audience first of his disciples. And then beyond his disciples are this vast multitude of people who have gathered to hear him. Most of them Jews, likely Jews. And if you were a Jew and you heard Christ say these words, it would have been an incredible thing to hear. Because every Jew knew, like the back of their hand, what it was to be blessed. They knew what it was to be blessed. In fact, most of them would have automatically gone back in their scriptures to passages like Deuteronomy 27 and 28, where we read of the mountains of blessing and the mountain of cursing. Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, and Mount Ebal, the blessing of cursing. And there, God gave these words to the people of Israel. All these blessings, there's that word, shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou wilt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kind and the flock of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out, and so on and so forth. And so when the Jew heard the word blessed, put beside the word poor, it didn't make any sense. To be blessed was to be wealthy. To be blessed was to be rich. So blessed or happy are the poor was a contradiction in terms. So what did Christ mean when he says blessed are the poor in spirit? Well, there's a second question we need to answer here. And that is, who are these poor? Who are these poor? Well, if you go back again to the Old Testament, you discover that normally the poor people in Israel were those who were either beggars or very near to being beggars. We might say the tramps or the scavengers, the outcasts of the world. Those who didn't have resources in themselves to be able to get what they needed for their lives. Those who were often forced to beg in order to live. And yet, although many people look down on the, the beggars, on the tramps, on the outcasts, God had this peculiar interest in those who were poor. 
If you go back to the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, you find out that the law is full of commands concerning the well-to-do of the poor, the well-being of the poor. Those who were rich were commanded to take care of the poor. And then you move from the law to the Psalms. And you find in the Psalms that God is a God who hears the cry of the poor. He stretches out his ear, is a picture given in the Psalms, so that the cry of the poor enters into his ear. God hears particularly those who are poor. And then you go to the prophets, and you find out that God is willing to pour out his wrath on those who despise the poor or those who do not take care of the poor. And then you come to the New Testament and you see Christ, who is the perfect declaration of God, the perfect revelation of God on earth. And how does he treat the poor? With compassion. He's willing to reach out and touch the lepers that nobody else would come near. He's willing to eat meals with outcasts. At times, he even lived, we read, a, a life of practical homelessness. Scripture says at times he didn't even have so much as a stone to lay his head on. And his compassion for the poor people was so great that one of the, if you will, the principles of the kingdom of God that he taught his disciples, that he had them learn and memorize, was this. When you make a feast, call the poor and the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Not the wealthy, but the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Remarkable. And yet this doesn't actually get to the heart of what Christ is saying here. Because although God certainly had this general compassion and care for those who were poor outwardly, physically, there were some who were poor physically who were rich in their souls. They were proud. They were rebellious against God. And so Christ, if you will, in this beatitude drills right to the heart of the matter. He doesn't just say blessed or happy are those who are poor. He says blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritual beggars before God. Blessed are those who look at their spiritual bank account and realize that it is zero and that it is, in fact, in the negatives. Blessed are those who have no payment from within their hearts that they can offer to God for what they need from God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. A beautiful illustration of this comes in the words of Martin Luther. I believe these were the last words he actually wrote in his life. They were penned on his deathbed, deathbed, six words. We are beggars. This is true. We are beggars. This is true. What a statement from Martin Luther, a man of tremendous influence, a man who had spoken in small country churches and who had spoken in the halls of kings. A man who had been influential, used by God to transform nations from darkness to light. But how does he end his life? We are beggars. This is true. Why? How could he have said these words? It's because he had been profoundly gripped by this gospel principle that blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we need to ask ourselves here this morning also, is this our posture before God? Do, do we lie on our faces, as it were, before God in humility? Or are we proud before God? Self-sufficient, self-righteous, believing we can do what we like and we can provide for ourselves. Christ says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, it might be that you're fairly logical and you've been thinking through this beatitude this far and you, you're still bothered by it. You're like the Jews, perhaps, in Jesus' day and you're, you, you feel that there's a contradiction here. How can Christ say, despite everything we've said, how can Christ say, blessed are the poor in spirit? How can Christ say, I am happy because I am spiritually destitute? What's going on in this beatitude of Christ? And this is a good question. This is a question we should be asking. Scripture actually teaches that our happiness is not found in simply knowing that we are miserable. Lazarus was not happy simply because he knew that he was a beggar. Scripture teaches that we are blessed because we are poor in spirit, because that poverty of spirit is what drives us to the one who has all riches. We are happy because our knowledge of our poverty of spirit, our knowledge of our sin, is what drives us to Jesus Christ. That is where true happiness is found. And that's why Christ continues. Not just blessed are the poor in spirit, period, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is all the riches of the king. Theirs is everything that Jesus Christ has to offer. And the application here is very clear for us. We cannot simply come before God and be blessed because we admit that we are empty in ourselves. We cannot end there. That is not the ending of the Christian life. To do that is really to, to fall short of true blessedness. We need to let our knowledge of our sin, our knowledge of our misery, drive us to find our refuge in Christ. Drive us, as it were, to the gate of the Lord Jesus Christ to beg for the riches that only he can provide for our souls. That's true blessedness. But now I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the Jews again. They're listening to this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now again, this is a very strange thing for the Jew. How could it be that the poor are the ones who inherit the kingdom? Wasn't it the, the rich and the strong and the righteous who inherit the kingdom? This is a question they would have been asking. Why? Because the Jews had utterly lost, by this time in Christ's ministry, they had utterly lost the Old Testament teaching that man was in himself a condemned sinner. That man was spiritually empty in himself. Let me give you some examples. They would have read Psalm 1. 
children, you probably know how Psalm 1 starts. Blessed. Blessed, there's that word again. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And they would have said, that's me, Lord, that's me. I, I in myself, am this man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but my delight is in the law of the Lord. Or they would have read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing, there's that word again, the blessing from the Lord. And they would have said, that is us also, Lord. We have done these things. We are pure in heart. We have clean hands. They would have said in ourselves that this is us. But you see, they had forgotten the foundation of all these psalms. They had forgotten that in themselves they were miserable sinners. They had forgotten that they must rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and live out of him these things. And so they heard this statement that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to these Jews, it was all wrong. It was all backwards. The Jews were not poor in spirit. They were rich in spirit. They were doing quite well. They had kept the law. They were righteous. They were like that Pharisee Christ speaks about who said, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And so in their book, if you will, it was the righteous who would inherit the kingdom of God, the righteous in spirit. And so the Pharisees of those days, of the Lord Jesus Christ's day, needed to hear what Christ later said to the church of Laodicea, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And the question we need to ask ourselves is where are we today? How do we respond to this clear teaching of Christ? Are we living our lives trying to please God, trying to please others, justifying ourselves before God, condemning others, pretending we are righteous? Is this who we are? Or are we like the man who is poor in spirit, who says, Lord, I I can't do anything in myself. I am in myself empty. I, I am filthy in my own soul. I am sin-sick in my own soul. I am a beggar spiritually. Lord, please give me the spiritual riches that you alone have. Give me that righteousness, that perfect righteousness that you purchased upon the cross. Impart that to my soul, Lord, because in myself I am such a sinner. Who are we? Are we spiritually rich in our souls? Or are we poor and running to Christ? That is one of the great questions, perhaps the great question of our lives here below. And one of the great wonders of Scripture is that when we move from being this spiritually rich man and we fall, as it were, on our faces before God and we confess we are empty, Christ doesn't look upon us in scorn. He doesn't look upon us and condemn us and say, that is who you are. You are condemned. He doesn't do that. 
He does just what God did in the Old Testament towards the poor. He says, I'm filled with compassion for you. And he reaches out his hand and he touches us. He heals us in our souls. He hears the cry of the poor and the needy, and he, as it were, pours his spiritual riches into our souls. That is the blessedness of those who become spiritually poor in themselves, but run to Christ for his wealth. Everyone, Christ says in another passage, everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now, the beauty of this gospel also has to be complemented. It also has to be complemented by the other side of things. In the Old Testament, as I mentioned in that passage from Deuteronomy, wherever there was a blessing, there was also a cursing. Now, Gerizim, the, the, the tribes would stand there and they would shout out the blessings of the Lord upon the people of God. But at the same time, on Mount Ebal, there were the tribes shouting out the cursings upon those who did not obey the law of the Lord. And it's no different in our passage. Sometimes in the Old Testament, only the blessings are given and the cursings are implied. Sometimes only the curses are given and the blessings are implied. Here, the blessings are given, but the curses are implied. And so Christ, as it were, implicitly says here, Cursed are the rich in spirit, for theirs is not the kingdom of heaven. Cursed are those who have it all together in their lives, for theirs is not the salvation of Christ. Cursed are the spiritually rich people of this world, for theirs are the fire of hell forever. In James chapter 5, verses 1 and on, we read a remarkable description of this. James says it, he says it bluntly. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept of you back by fraud, cries, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth, and being wanton, you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. And this isn't just talking about those who are materially rich and who materially or physically oppress the poor. Is speaking also of those who are spiritually wealthy in their souls and who condemn those who are spiritually poor. Those who justify themselves and press down those who are needy. If you are here today and you know this is you in your heart, you will press others spiritually, physically, materially. These are the words that Christ has to you. Revelation 3, I counsel you to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, 
and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And how can we not obey this command? How can we not obey this command? It's remarkable to me that even though we know and hear stories sometimes every month of those who are suddenly snuffed out in their life, we still live our lives as if we'll live forever. We go day after day after day. Other people may pass away, but we act as if we can just carry on. Some time ago, we had a youth camp in Alberta. There were many young people there. And we ended the, we ended the time together with a tug of war with a rope. There was probably 25 young people on one seat, maybe 30, and, and 30 on the other side. And we had this huge tug of war rope that we were using. And the countdown began, and as soon as the word was given, we began to pull. And a lot of us had just begun to dug in our heels. We were just getting going. And all of a sudden, snap! The rope cut in half. It burst. It was, it was broken. And we fell backwards, many of us hurting ourselves, because we had no idea that the rope would break. It's not supposed to break. We were just getting going. And so many of us are just like this in our lives. We're just getting going in life. We're just starting. We're just getting our heels dug in in life. We've got life spreading out in front of us, and sometimes the Lord chooses to let that rope of our life snap. It's time to stand before the judgment seat of God. We have no right to pretend like we have tomorrow. What does Scripture say? Today is the day of salvation. Paul says, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This means we need to confess our poverty of spirit now and run to Christ now for salvation. We cannot wait. We do not know if we have tomorrow. The gospel message is so simple. Repent and believe the gospel. His death upon the cross is for you if you will have him. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's much more to say on this, but I want to spend our last few minutes here together speaking to those of you who are not like that rich man, that proud man, but you have fallen on your face before God. But you may be asking a question. You may be saying, this, this beatitude of Christ sounds all very good for the future. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I will be happy later on. But right now, I feel that this beatitude is not a reality in my soul. I have trusted in Christ, but I don't feel happy. I, I struggle in life. I feel clouds. The clouds roll over my life. There's little sunshine and happiness in my life. How can I, as it were, have this beatitude in my own life today? Let me give you several ways in which the Christian can have this happiness, this blessedness in their own life today. First of all, we do so by faith in God's word. We, we can, as it were, bring the happiness of heaven, the future happiness of heaven, with the hand of faith into our own hearts by believing in the word of God. Why? Because faith accepts, faith believes as a sure and a settled thing that the future happiness of the future life will be theirs. Children, just like if you are 
in the middle of a long school year, but your parents promise you a future vacation, that future vacation brings happiness into your life now. You're excited about it. You can't wait for it. You know it's going to happen. So the promise of heaven for the believer brings happiness into their life now because they look beyond the horizon of the dark clouds and they see that there is an eternity of joy waiting for them. And that requires faith in God's word. You must believe that what Christ says is true, that he is building homes for us in heaven and one day we will go to be with him. That's the first thing. But secondly, faith in God's word brings happiness into our hearts because faith accepts as a sure and a settled thing that even though we sometimes can't feel it, God's spirit, children, are you hearing this? God's Holy Spirit, invisible spirit, is inside our hearts, is inside our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ. We have what scripture describes as the first fruits of heaven inside our hearts. And that brings us happiness. We feel at times the Spirit witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. That brings joy to our hearts. But then faith also brings us this happiness of heaven because faith, as it were, drives us to pick up this book of faith and read it and and meditate on it and and page through it. And, And the Spirit of God loves to take the Word of God and bring it to our hearts and plant it like seeds in a garden and it brings forth the fruit of joy and peace in our hearts. And so faith, as it were, brings the glory of heaven into our lives through the word of God, through fellowship with Christ, through his spirit. This is exactly what Paul and Silas had. Children, do you remember that when Paul and Silas were lying in stocks in the most uncomfortable of positions, full of pain, in this jail, not knowing what the future might hold. But midnight comes around, and what are they doing? They're singing praises to God. Their hearts are full of joy. Why? Because they could see beyond the dark horizon into the glory of heaven. They knew that heaven was theirs, that Christ was theirs, that the riches that never rust are theirs. And they could sing praises to God. This is what Job had. Remember Job, he lost everything. He's sitting there in all of his source. And what does he say? Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He could see over it all that he would one day be in the presence of the glorious God. And this is what Christ had, isn't it? Christ who suffered a deeper valley than any saint here below. The darkness of separation from God. How did he live his life? He lived it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross Because he looked to the joy of heaven. And so faith takes the joys of heaven and it brings it down to earth through faith in the word of God. And to make this all very practical and to apply it to our everyday lives here today. The world comes to us and it shouts as it were through a megaphone. Happiness comes by being wealthy. Happiness comes because you are good looking. Happiness comes because you are healthy. Happiness comes from all these other things, but the Bible says no. 
True happiness comes from knowing that you are a spiritual beggar, but finding everything for your soul in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. There's that old hymn we know that I think a number of us probably sing. Riches I heed not, nor vain or man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, ruler of heaven, my treasure thou art. The question for us here today is, is Christ our treasure? Are we running after the wealth of the world, the pleasures of the world? Or are we seeking after Christ with our hearts in the word of God and looking forward to him in heaven? Where are we today? Amen. Let's close in prayer.